Welcome to the Emerging Revolutionary War podcast. Emerging Revolutionary War is a public history platform that explores all aspects of the Revolutionary War with up-and-coming historians and connects this history to the places where it occurred. We strive to make it fun and engaging for all audiences. We have a blog and website, emergingrevolutionarywar.org, where you can check out frequent blog posts and history articles by numerous historians. In addition to our blog, we are active on social media. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. We host an annual symposium that takes place in Alexandria, Virginia, and we now also host Battlefield Bus Tours. We also have the Emerging Revolutionary War book series, published by Savas Beattie. To date, we have four titles out and more on the way. These books offer a brief, readable, and illustrated narrative and include self-guided tours of the battlefields. So far, we have books on Lexington and Concord, Trent and Princeton, Monmouth, and Valley Forge. Check them out wherever books are sold. We always offer speakers that can talk about a range of Revolutionary War topics, and our historians have been featured in places such as C-SPAN, American History TV, and Fox Nation documentaries. Make Emerging Revolutionary War your home for the 250th anniversary of America's independence. This show is filmed live every other week on our Facebook page, so if you'd like to watch these live and have an opportunity to engage with us, check us out every other Sunday night at 7 p.m. Eastern on our Facebook page. Enjoy the podcast. Uh, welcome, everybody, uh, to our uh, Rev War Revelry. We're doing a special one uh, this weekend. Uh, it is the uh, holiday weekend. I hope everybody had a Happy Independence Day and enjoyed the festivities at a safe and happy holiday. Um, you know, in, in light of uh, our our national celebration of American independence, um, you know, it, it, we were very lucky to have here today a good friend of uh, the blog here is uh, Bob Hoare um, with the uh, Bennington State Battlefield Park uh, up in uh, New York. Um, right on the border with uh, uh, Vermont there, and um, we're, uh, we're pleased to, to, to talk about uh, one of the events that led up to that would, you know, eventually end in the, the celebration of American independence, uh, and that was a, a little-known event uh, that actually happened uh, 250 years ago this month, um, and uh, so what we're, you know, just like we came to you a, a, a few months ago from uh, Alamance down in North Carolina about this kind of intercolonial conflict going on. Uh, now we're, we're traveling north uh, and we're up in uh, New England now um, and we're going to be talking about the events uh, going on between New Hampshire and New York uh, that eventually led to the birth of the state of Vermont and uh, some of the, the most well-known heroes of the Revolutionary War, the Green Mountain Boys. Um, so we're, we're very pleased to have Bob here tonight, and he's going to tell us a, a bit about the history uh, of what happened 250 years ago this month, uh, and then also give you some uh, things that they got coming up that they're planning to do up there to commemorate uh, this event uh, that's known as the Breckenridge Standoff. Um, so Bob, uh, why don't we just go ahead and first ask, yeah, so what is, what's the tension going on? What's the status going on? between New Hampshire and New York at this time in 1771. Okay, so in 1771, there had been um, a, a change in jurisdiction um, over these um, grants that were 
to become Vermont. And that jurisdiction was given to New York and they um, acted on that um, change of just, uh, jurisdiction and had some trials in Albany where they um, um, found some specific settlers and um, were attempting to, to eject them, which was um, not really to um, remove them, but to just sort of change their jurisdiction through sort of a, a taking of their property and then giving it back to them under New York law. So the Vermonters at this time um, were resisting this and thinking that the king would make a final ruling on their behalf. Um, and they were holding out for this. There's petitions. The leader of Bennington had gone to, to London all about this. And um, they're not realizing that New Hampshire had sort of backed out. So Vermont is sort of acting on their own, um, expecting help that's not really out there. Um, so in 1771, what we're really talking about is, is it, there was a standoff um, that had to do with those um, um, rulings in the court in Albany. And the, and the Vermonters basically defeated their attempts to evict them. So uh, at this time, did they, did they consider themselves Vermont as their own independent entity? Or were they, um, I guess, how did they view themselves in relation between these New Hampshire grants and, um, you know, were these granted to be a, a separate part of New Hampshire or were these to be their own independent state? I guess, how did they view themselves between the two conflicting areas? Yeah, so that's a really good question. So um, it's known as the New Hampshire grants and um, the New Hampshire settlers, um, I guess were expecting to be a part of New Hampshire, okay? And at this time, they had not declared themselves independent. That's not until I believe it's 76 when they declare themselves to be a separate district. And then Vermont, um, they declare themselves to be Vermont in 77. Oh, okay. So at this time, they're thinking that they can, that eventually they'll be a part of New Hampshire. Oh. Exactly. Yeah, they're not quite sure, but that's what they're expecting to be. And they think that New Hampshire is going to take right over. And um, some of the uh, settlers have hold New Hampshire um, titles like you know, sheriff and those sorts of things. Oh, really? Okay. And, yeah. and, uh, and from the New York perspective, did they view that they were encroaching on New York land at this time? Or did they, um, you know, or did they, they want to annex this part to New York? I guess, how did New York view this contested area? Okay, so um, I guess I would say that traditionally, I think that both in England and in um, the colonies, they had at this time, generally understood um, that there was a line running north from the west line of Connecticut to, um, to Lake Champlain and that, that that area was New England, okay? So the New York claims um, had to do with the change of jurisdiction under a ruling from the king. And this came in 1764. And I think the key really is in 1763, it's the proclamation this proclamation of 1763 that really tells us and informs us what's going on here. So that limits um, um, white settlement past the Appalachian uh, Mountains. And in our case, that goes right through Vermont, okay? So in addition to that, it has a lot to do with the Stamp Act. So we're talking about the King trying to um, collect um, fees for granting of lands. So while at the same time, New York had sort of gone, you know, over 
board with its granting of lands, um, the king wanted to sort of get in there and control both what New Hampshire had done and what New York had done with the proclamation of 1763 and the ruling in 64 that gave um, New York jurisdiction over to the Connecticut River. Okay. Oh, Okay. Yeah, so that the, the jurisdiction was over there, but it wasn't a complete ruling. So it left the settlers sort of in a legal limbo mm. where they need they still had titles but had to reconfirm them with New York. Okay. And so New York then decides, you know, that they have legal claim over this and you're saying that and then what did the what did how did this end up that this standoff ultimately ends up happening? What's the the lead up to this and, and, and who, you know, what is, Bre or who is Breckenridge and uh, <laughs> give us a little background on how this stand, uh, armed standoff is eventually going to, going to come into being. Cool. Um, I think maybe the next thing to talk about would be, um, um, excuse me there for a second. <laughs> um, New York had um, had some legal rulings on their side but then in 67, there was a ruling by the king that had gone sort of against New York's interests, okay? Mm -hmm. So um, Bennington's founder, Samuel Robinson, took a petition and went to London. And he didn't really have an audience with the king and he ends up dying there, I think of smallpox. But the effect was the same. So the, the same privy council that made the 64 ruling in 67 did sort of a restraining order on the, the New York governors to stop this. Um, granting. So I think what's the interesting part here is that, um, and little known perhaps for this audience, is that New York had created a, a whole grid of overlapping um, claims in a whole different um, set of towns on top of the, the already existing New Hampshire grid of towns. And so these were actually contrasting lines. So the New Hampshire grid looks something like a bunch of squares, and the New York grid um, included a lot of sort of irregular shaped patterns, choicest lands and lands along um, um, riverbeds. So what they were really trying to do within um, the uh, orders of the proclamation of 1763 was to cut off New England settlement to the West. And what they wanted to do there was to um, settle Scottish soldiers, retired Scottish soldiers on the border between Vermont and New York. So nominally that's the plan, but what happened was that those grants were basically bought up by the rich assemblymen down in New Hampshire, I mean, down in New York City. So that the, the rich um, New Yorkers that were sort of behind all this um, egregious granting and re-granting of Vermont lands then sort of bought up all those grants, hmm. almost all of them, okay? So um, I guess the fraud was sort of, quite prevalent there. So what happens is that um, perhaps at the trials in um, Albany, that those trials weren't very fair. They didn't um, accept the New York, I mean, the, the Vermonters argument. So that the trials had to do with admitting the jurisdiction of New York just by going to the trial. Trying to see what I'm saying there. Mm -hmm. And so that, um, yeah, basically all of the New Hampshire and the New Hampshire settlers evidence wasn't allowed. So some things happened like they claimed that the Vermonters were in, within 17 miles of Hudson River, which isn't really true. This whole story is about the Vermonters and um, New Hampshire having made a, a, 
a border 20 miles from Hudson River. Yeah, really, huh? <laughs> right? So um, somehow, um, really, I guess I have to get to the point here is that um, the New York um, Attorney General and the judges and most of those people were interested in these cases. They held the land that was being regranted to New York. Um, they had been paid the fees. They're remitting those fees to the king, which is what the king wants. He wants a stream of revenue. They're charging higher rates for this land than um, New Hampshire had originally charged. So that also means higher fees that will go back to the king. Um, but this land is really being consolidated in the in the hands of the rich and the powerful, okay? So, so Breckenridge is the original guy in 1769 that stood up to all this. So they, the surveyors got right around the New York Vermont border and he stopped the surveyors and said that he would rather spill his heart's blood than to see his land divided. Mm. And it's this scenario that sounds like the Vermont leaders and settlers like Breckenridge were negotiating between the New York surveyors and their own people. So the people of Vermont were more radical than the leaders of uh, Bennington, okay? And were um, sort of having a, a, a civil um, action that the leaders of Bennington and the New York surveyors sort of had to mitigate in the midst of, okay? And um, the New Yorkers were just as threatening in these situations as the Vermonters. So we don't really have a lot of the rhetoric handed down to us through time that would have been the things that the New Yorkers had said. We have a lot of ideas of what Ethan Allen had said and some of the Vermont um, threats that are sort of a part of this storyline. But the New Yorkers would have threatened the Vermonters to stop them and to break their chain. And that if they had done that, that's going to change their legal status, which is kind of exactly how they prosecuted the case. So that the Vermonters, um, or the New Hampshire Grant settlers, that is, um, were treated like individual trespassers. Okay, so what they're doing is they're defending the border between New York and Vermont for the, the initial interests of Benning Wentworth of creating that line between New Hampshire and um, um, New York. Okay, but New York didn't recognize this as, a, as a, an official sort of state move. Um, Benning Wentworth was the longest serving colonial governor, so his grants were very real, and you can't really erase in time what he did because he bought and sold those grants and people you know had those fees and spent that money um but later um i guess i kind of lost it there for a second um sorry about that well um, fine. benning's the uh the new hampshire governor yes time. oh okay i remember right where i was i'm sorry about yeah that. so so by staking the claim for um for the whole group is what Breckenridge was doing, okay? Um, he was the one that the, the um, trials were aimed at, okay? Um, so in 71, having lost in court and actually ad weirdly admitting that his farm was within 17 miles of Hudson River, uh, a 300 person um, posse, sheriff's posse from New York, including the mayor of Albany and the uh, the magistrates and the lawyers and all the, the various um, officials um, accompanied by militia came to do this eviction of Breckenridge, okay? And it's, um, I think the New Yorkers expected the civil action to happen. They expected to be resisted. They had um, been resisted 
in these attempts before. And they had arrested a couple of the Vermont leaders and some of the Vermont leaders had spent time in jail in Albany. So I think they were pretty sure when they came right in the middle of the summer to uh, evict Breckenridge, they would probably meet with some resistance. So that's why there's 300 of them. So it's called a posse comitatus. So they were stopped at a bridge and there would have been a lot of negotiating at the bridge. Most specifically, the sheriff would have read the Vermonters or the New Hampshire grantees, the riot act. So what that does is that tells them that they have an hour to disperse or they're all, um, they're all basically felons and they'll be subject to arrest individually in the future. Okay, and at the same time, the um, Riot Act empowers the posse. So the, the men that he brought with him are now sort of deputized by the reading of the, you know, the Riot Act. So the Riot Act is read. Um, a small contingent of the group went from that bridge down to Breckenridge's heart, uh, house, which was about a half a mile away. And they um, tried to convince the Vermonters um, to accept the rulings in Albany court, which they didn't do. So then the, the result of that was that the, the small group went back to the, to the posse comitatus at the bridge and could not convince any of them to go back down to Breckenridge's house and actually evict him, okay? Mm -hmm. So what we have is sort of a failed, sort of aborted attempt where then only 30 of the 300 go down to Breckenridge's house. And when they get there, they, they find themselves in the middle of an ambush. So sort of the future Green Mountain Boys or the Bennington Militia um, had created an ambush. There was a couple of ridges north and south of the Breckenridge home. They um, fortified the Breckenridge home, um, cut loopholes to cut through, you know, to shoot out the, the windows, had a flag to raise up and down the chimney to communicate to the, the other guys and um, dared the sheriff to, to break down the door with an ax. So that's the job of the sheriff to take control of these properties is, is to, to forcibly enter the, the property and to serve the papers. So there would have been a moment where the sheriff actually grabbed that ax and went towards the door. And so this is the, this is the birthplace of Vermont right here that I'm telling you about, um, is that the Ethan Allen and the Green Mountain Boys and their level muskets and the threats and their you know, their, their resolution um, stopped that sheriff from, from swinging that ax and breaking that door. Wow. Uh, so, so he would have been, you know, concerned about his own safety. His posse would have been concerned about their own safety. So perhaps they were saying, hey, Sheriff 10X, you better stop. You know, I think we're in danger here. Um, and that's really what um, became, like I said, the birthplace of Vermont. It was the phrase I think was coined by Highland Hall who is the man behind the, he was a former Vermont governor and the man behind the design of the Bennington Battle Monument. Mm. And his real, really his favorite subject was this birthplace of Vermont, sort of Green Mountain Boys, you know, New York, New Hampshire controversy. So uh, this is all very fascinating. I think that's really interesting. Again, um, the governor of New York at the time was that William William Tryon at this time, or had he not been involved with this at this point? So William Tryon is named governor right about the time of the Breckenridge standoff. Okay. So if you can read things forward from the Breckenridge standoff, they um, by the end of the year of 1771, with Tryon being the governor, and with the Green Mountain Boys certainly aware of what happened at, at Alamance, you know, with the yeah. um, 
with the, you know, you know, using the cannon against the settlers, um, killing a few in battle and, and hanging and arresting some leaders. Um, they're expecting the same thing that's going to happen in Vermont. So this really tempered Vermont. So in Bennington, they acquired two cannon and a mortar, and they set up an ambush, thinking that Governor Tryon and a posse was actually coming to, to Vermont at some certain point that year. Wow. So um, yeah. No, I, I thought that was, I knew he moved up there, but it sounds very similar to Alamance in the sense that reading the Riot Act uh, and, uh, and yeah, this coastal elite uh, being involved in a lot of these uh, kind of Western expansion uh, uh, settlers. Um, so, so yeah, I'm kind of getting, uh, yeah, yeah, uh, seeing a lot of these similarities between these two things. Uh, I find it really interesting that the sheriff and the group comes why do you think that, uh, I guess, how many uh, people were with Breckenridge and uh, why did, you know, so many of the, the, the posse refuse to go down to the actual house with the sheriff, I guess? Uh, he said it was only about 30 of them, right, that went down there. Was that fear of something happening to them or not wanting to, you know, in, inaugurate a civil war or something? I don't know. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, so I guess... Um... First of all, the numbers are a little fuzzy. So perhaps 300 on the New York side and maybe 200 on the Vermont side. Oh. Um, I, I'm not sure what to say about the numbers there. Um, but the, the militia and the New Yorkers, I think were really convinced that, the, that they were, um, they had the same feelings as the, as the New Hampshire Grant settlers and to, and to to, to evict them was was not within what they were willing to do that day. And so I think that on many levels, um, people were figuring out that day, you know, how they felt. Mm -hmm. So the Green Mountain Boys, the Bennington settlers, they're figuring out that day that they don't want the, the New York's um, jurisdiction to come to their town. And the, the, New, York, the, the New York settlers, you know, not, this, not the um, officials, they ended up really having the same sentiments that day. Interesting. And and after the standoff comes, the sheriff decides he's not gonna, you know, you know, knock down the door or, or evict these people. Uh, do they just turn around and head back home? And is is the the matter settled, or or is this going to be like a continuing, you know, boiling point uh, that just kind of continues on? Uh, I guess. What, what's the resolution of, uh, you know, this standoff happening and not evicting the uh, uh, Breckenridge and the others? Awesome. That's a great question. So, um, so immediately after the attempt to evict Breckenridge, there's kind of a funny punchline there. Um, maybe something like from an old Western. So Breckenridge, I mean, Sheriff Tenek then asked his posse to go further into Bennington to evict this guy named Josiah Fuller. So that would have required them to march sort of immediately through the town of Bennington. What a lark that he would <laughs> actually ask them to do this. So at that request is where his posse melts away. Mm -hmm. um, so what happens after this? This really is the last time. So that's the, that's the birthplace of Vermont. This is the last time that New York would send a mounted sheriff's posse to Vermont with an asterisk, I think there was one more sort of very unknown um, small sheriff's posse the next year, okay? So this is essentially the last, um, this is the really the, 
the Vermonters or the New Hampshire grantees defeating that ruling in court. So after this is what we kind of call the beach seal era. So the Vermonters sort of had the upper hand. You know, once again, you know, possession is nine tenths of the law. So New York's really fighting an uphill battle to, to claim this land. And the king himself will sort of have the ruling that all lands need to be sort of surveyed so they can be available for sale. So that's another thing that's going to start weaving itself in here is sort of a race to survey and claim the rest of the land that we now know as Vermont. And so that's going to include really the stories of Ethan Allen and the Green Mountain Boys um, using the beach sail or whipping some of these surveyors and burning down a few cabins here and there, but more likely burning down what you would call possession houses or possession huts where you'd clear some land and sort of stake your claim by putting down the logs for a future cabin. So some of these sort of claim kind of places were overturned by the Green Mountain Boys between 71 and 75. Then of course in 75, not directly related, but that's when um, Ethan Allen and the Green Mountain Boys take Fort Ticonderoga. Um, and New York had never sent Redcoats to Vermont to enforce its claim. It had requested Redcoats a couple of times and they had not been sent first by um, Haldimand and then secondly by Gage. Actually, I got that wrong. First request was to Gage and the second one was to Haldimand for some troops to go to Vermont. Um, so just keep in mind these troops that would have potentially gone to Vermont would have been the garrison from Fort Ticonderoga. So sort of symbolically taking Ticonderoga in 75 ends the threat that any Redcoats are gonna come and enforce New York's sort of royal prerogative that they attained through the king to the lands that became Vermont. Interesting. Now, uh, uh, just as a background on the Green Mountain Boys, uh, is, is this, you know, is there an official time when they start or do they, have, they just kind of rise up at, in, in defense against these incursions on New York and, uh, you know, did they call themselves this, the Green Mountain Boys? And just a, a little background on who they were, you know, how they viewed themselves. And, you know, I think that'd be interesting. Yeah, that's a fantastic question. So, you know, I'm here really talking about the birthplace of, you know, Vermont and the birthplace of the, the Green Mountain Boys. Um, people date the birth of the Green Mountain Boys sort of throughout 69 or 71 or maybe 72. So as far as I'm concerned, you know, who cares when they're born or whatever? Um, um, a lot of people talk about the birth of the Green Mountain Boys being um, a meeting after this um, Bennington settlers lost in court in Albany. There was a meeting at the Catamount Tavern in, in Bennington, which is really the home of the Green Mountain Boys with this snarling Catamount um, facing New York, okay? Symbolizing their war with New York. Um, so there was a meeting there. And the result of that meeting is that the um, pastor of the New Light Separatist Church in Bennington suggested taking all the farms of the settlers under town protection. So to me, that's something like um, uh, extending church brotherhood to every last settler and every last person that's bought you know, pieces of land from his church members. They're all gonna be taken care of as one. So that's really what go goes on um, with the ejectment trials is that they stood up for, for the individuals as a group. Uh -huh. And to me, that's, that's when the Bennington militia 
which was actually formed in 1764, I think that's when they become the Green Mountain Boys, is when they made that group decision, sort of through the church, to just take care of all these grants as well. At a tavern, nonetheless, too. Right? Yeah. <laughs> um well and that's great and then uh like um as far as like some of the figures in this uh like Breckenridge, you know what happens to him does uh and the sheriff do we know what happens to him and you know do these guys you know end up going loyalist or patriot when the when the when the revolutionary war breaks out uh do you have do you know anything about these some of these individuals that are involved in the standoff and kind of where they went off to so yeah, of course I know all about that. So um, kind of they went in some different directions. So I believe Sheriff Tenek is gonna be a patriot. He's gonna fight, have his own militia. Um, I don't wanna say for sure, but there is a Tenek that had the Albany County militia at the Battle of Saratoga. Ooh. So I believe that might be the same Tenek here. Um, um, the judge in the case of the ejectment trials, um, was very important in the revolution. That's Robert Livingston, but he continued to be sort of tough on the on the Vermonters as well. Okay, so not all the New York New Yorkers who are still patriotic would still sort of continue their claims versus Vermont. Breckenridge himself. So this is kind of a I don't want to get into a long story here, but this is probably part of the reason why the Breckenridge standoff and the birthplace of Vermont is kind of a little known story. So Breckenridge is going to be become a loyalists okay so he may have actually turned at the ejectment trials remember i said he admitted that his farm was in within 17 miles of hudson river and that he was the guy who benning wentworth's claims were all based upon the fact that he was the guy that stood up to new york and his trial was going to be the uh you know the test case you know how precedents work so all the trials were going to be dependent on what happened in his trial okay mm -hmm. and it appears that he may have been bribed or, or taken a, a job with the New Yorkers. So um, ironically, a weird thing happens that he's sent to London in 73 to plead the Vermont settlers case. Nothing happened there, wonder why. Uh, so then Breckenridge and some others gather horses for the British at Breckenridge's farm for the Battle of Bennington. So we have the documentation that he was employed as a spy one week before the Battle of Bennington for the British, okay? So um, it would take a couple of years, but when Ethan Allen gets out of captivity and returns to Vermont in 1778, he names Breckenridge as one of his 17 wicked Tories because <laughs> he's gonna root out these loyalists and these Tories in the Bennington area, which were actually pretty formidable. Um, so it takes a couple of years, but Breckenridge is gonna become a captain in the Queen's Loyal Rangers and do some missions in Northern Vermont against the Vermonters. He will then make amends with the Bennington people and he's buried in the uh, Bennington Center's um, Shaftesbury here in Bennington. So what a story of, of loyalties, the original you know, person who stands up to the New Yorkers, traitor at the Battle of Bennington, goes against Vermont interests in the Revolutionary War, but the way the times were, he was able to make amends with his friends and neighbors and return to Bennington. Oh, wow. That's a fascinating story. Yeah, no idea of uh, that whole, all those different ins and outs. Really interesting. <laughs>
Um, and and now you 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 call yeah we say the birthplace of Vermont. Uh, when do they start yeah referring to themselves as their own independent Vermont and Vermont itself doesn't become its own independent state right until uh, after or in the in the middle of the wars when they are going to declare their independence from New Hampshire. I guess how how, how does this factor into the eventual creation of the independent state of Vermont? Well, this is this really is this is that story. So this is how you're going to realize, you know, what happened with New Hampshire and New York, and that it's going to lead towards um, a long-standing disagreement. So remember that the the thirteen colonies are all thirteen royal colonies that were created by King George. Okay, one of those King Georges, and um, Vermont was the fourteenth sort of entity. Well, there was actually West Florida, East Florida. There's quite a few colonies, all right, 20 or something, right? But, uh, you know, Vermont is um, really acting as a, another state in the Revolutionary War there. So it's, um, it's an interesting um, thing to think about. Um, so New York is preventing them from becoming a state. Um, at this time, it'll be Governor George Clinton. Um, it gets very complicated in 78 and 79, Vermont, with the war having moved to the South, um, Vermonters were very prudent. So things like the loyalties in Vermont were starting to shift and change. You know, we have this story of um, Benedict Arnold, okay? The war was getting weird and desperate at this time. So Vermonters, Vermont is a place where there's gonna be prisoner exchanges, okay? Loyalists and things like that are traveling from essentially New York City up to, to Montreal through Vermont, okay? And Vermonters are assisting with this prisoner exchange. And keep in mind that there's several posts in today's Vermont along Lake Champlain that um, Britain never gave up. And that's gonna end up being part of the War of 1812. So Vermont becoming a, its own state is actually pretty darn complicated because there's still, it's sort of British territory on some level if we still have British forts within Vermont. Um, so anyways, George Washington sort of had has had sort of had it with Vermont by 1780. So the thing that was called the Continental Storehouse, which was the object of the British raid at the Battle of Bennington, which was in Bennington, was a, you know, a continental storehouse with supplies that were from George Washington, you might say. So in 78, I mean, 1780, that's when George Washington took away the Continental Storehouse in Vermont. Okay. And that Vermont and Northern New York were really defenseless. They were begging for troops and protection in the North from certain British and Indian raids. Mm -hmm. And were they referring to this place as Vermont at the time, or was it still like the New Hampshire grants? Or... Oh, yeah, I'm sorry I went over that. So it was started out as New Connecticut in 77, and then they changed the name to Vermont in 1777. So it is Vermont. Oh, okay. Yes. Interesting. So it's Vermont. And then what happens is we don't become a state until 1791. And I think maybe some of your people might be interested in sort of the way I interpret that. So if in 1791, Vermont had to pay $30,000 to New York to extinguish its claims, which came from royal prerogative through an act that was very similar to the Stamp Act that was trying to um, restrict the colonists, hmm. um, that to me, sort of the Revolutionary War doesn't end until 1791. If one of the 
you might say, member states is paying war reparations to another state. In 17, 1788, the Livingston family posing as um, representing the state of New York bought most of the Iroquois lands for $20,000. And imagine Vermont paying New York $30,000 three years later. And the claims that they actually paid for were New York claims overlap, no, Vermont granting land over the New York claims. Vermont didn't have to pay to extinguish New Hampshire's claims to the land that would become Vermont. Only the claims that New York, Vermont granted after New York had granted those, that land. And that ends up becoming the spine of the Green Mountains. Yeah, so the spine of the Green Mountains is worth 50% um, more than all of Erokia. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> Well, that's great. Um, uh, so uh, now today, the site of the, the actual standoff, it, what's there today? Is the house still there? Is it marked? Uh, what can visitors see if they wanted to go see where this happened? Yep, so there was a standoff at the bridge. So today there's a covered bridge there. It, must, it would have been a mill bridge or a simpler bridge there next to a grist mill. So first there was kind of a stopping that posse at the mill, I mean, at the bridge. Um, next to the bridge is the Henry house. That house would have been there in 1771. So you still have an original house to look at. Um, down the street is a marker for the Seth Warner house. Seth Warner is the number one or number two guy in the Green Mountain Boys with Ethan Allen. He was one of the defendants in the, Bre in the ejectment trials. But um, his case was decided by, you know, James Breckenridge, you know, folding in court. So he is sort of little known as a defendant, but his marker, marker for his house is right there. And it was put in in 1927 by, um, it wasn't the DAR. I think it might've been the state of Massachusetts or Connecticut. Um, so then when you continue on the road, you'll get to the Breckenridge house location. There's a, another stone marker there. That one was put in in 1927 by the DAR. Just behind that marker, you can see the well from the Breckenridge house. So that's probably right where the Breckenridge house was. The house that's on that property now was built later by a Bennington College pro professor, but it's built right in that ridge. So the, there's two ridges that are very easy to sort of see that the um, Green Mountain Boys would have been within musket shot, but protected behind ridges um, at that standoff. That's great. And, uh, and yeah, this is uh, 2021. It's the 250th anniversary. What kind of uh, things do you have lined up uh, going on up there for the 250th anniversary? Awesome. Well, thanks for asking. So on July 18th at uh, between one and four o'clock, we're going to have um, some, some tours and some short lectures and some demonstrations, and we're going to have reenactors there. So there's going to be a sit-down commemoration ceremony. We've invited some important people to come there. Um, and then there'll, there'll be a tour that'll be guided by myself. So we'll walk that half a mile along the route of that sheriff's posse coming to evict Vermonters, you know. And, you know, I just have to say, to me, this is, this is Vermont's Boston Tea Party. You know, this is where we, you know, we threw the tea in the sea and we were not going to 
put up with this anymore. And this, like I said, this is people deciding, you know, both beforehand, but also right there at that moment, you know, where they stood. Mm-hmm. So um, if you come that day, I think we have a couple of vendors. I think we have a distillery and um, it's just going to be a fun day sort of in the park. It'll be somewhat relaxed and there's one ceremony to, to get through. That's great. Yeah. So people can continue the, the celebrations for independence uh, on in a couple weeks uh, up there uh, at the site of the Breckenridge standoff. That's great. Where can people go to find more information about the events or, um, and also now I think this is the, what, what you're planning to be the first of a series of events of, uh, you know, pre-revolutionary war history there in Vermont. Yeah, we, we sure are. So um, we have the 1771 birth of Vermont um, on Facebook. I run a Facebook page called the Bat- uh, Battle of Bennington Facebook. Uh, the Bennington Museum will carry information about this as well. Um, and yeah, it's pretty exciting because there's quite a few other little events. Um, They're really exciting to, to us Vermonters, you know, concerning the Green Mountain Boys and lots of stories. So it'd be nice to get, um, to invite people to those various locations and to some of these events over the next few years so they can really understand what happened back then. Yeah, no, I, I definitely hope we, you know, as we come up on these other anniversaries, we can have more of these talks and stuff like that. And you know, we're, you know, I'm trying to go, yeah, hit as many 250th events as I can, you know, as we start gearing up for the, um, you know, throughout uh, over the next, you know, 10 years or more of uh, different events. So it's an exciting time to, to want to read more and, and learn more and visit the sites of where all this stuff happened. I will say, Bob, uh, uh, you know, Emerging Revolutionary War, a bunch of us took a trip up to uh, New York and uh, Vermont, New Hampshire back in couple years ago and we happened to be up at Bennington uh, one Sunday morning when you were up there and uh, I think that the the battlefield site up there at Bennington is fantastic site to visit. Bob did a excellent uh, overview of everything that happened there and all the stuff you can see up there. Um, t- tell us a little bit about uh, Bennington State Battlefield and uh, some of the, do you guys have anything planned going on uh, coming up to and uh, maybe tell people a little bit more about that battlefield park too. That's right. So I work at the Bennington Battlefield, um, you know, four days a week, kind of a little part-time docent up there. So you have someone to talk to when you come to the Bennington Battlefield. And that's actually, that's new. There hasn't been anybody up there before. Um, so we actually have a bunch of new um, interpretive panels. And the, ba- the Bennington Battlefield now includes panels in more than just the one location. So the battlefield has just been Hashton Hill, where the famously where the the Brunswick Dragoon Cavalry Unit was posted and they'd hoped to get their horses in Bennington and they were defeated and they rushed down the hill and there was a one-sided sword fight and those are the stories of our um, battle. But there's a few more places on the battlefield that you can go to and there's some road signs that are yet to be installed at any time we sort of have a, a driving tour. So not unlike the Battle of Saratoga, we now have a driving tour of several locations and the corresponding kind of information. Yeah, no, I thought it was, uh, you know, it was fantastic because it was great that, yeah, you were up there that day because typically I think we think of, yeah, the battlefield park as just this one section on top of a hill, but 
you know, looking at the historic maps and being able to drive around and see all the different parts of that battlefield that I'm sure many people, yeah, might drive past and not realize they're on the actual battlefield. So I think it's great. I forgot to mention the cannon. So we have a brand new replica operable three pounder cannon at the battlefield now that was donated by a descendant of one of the German soldiers who fought in the Battle of Bennington. So oh, wow. okay. it's a pretty big upgrade to have a cannon up there now. <laughs> no, that's awesome. Um, yeah, definitely recommend everybody check out yeah, Bennington Battlefield Park. And I think it's interesting too, because yeah, it's, I think it's remembered often as a Vermont battle, because right, the, uh, the, the monument is over in Vermont, but the, the actual battlefield is over just across in New York. Is that correct? That's right. So the, you know, the Bennington was the object of the raid and um, the British didn't bring enough men. So we, you know, we cut them off. They sent for some reinforcements. You know, the battle happened two days later. So ironically, the group sent to attack Bennington is on defense, you know, and they're being attacked. And, uh, you know, just keep in mind that we, we kept them outside of the state and outside of the town because the objective was to to loot the mills for all the flour and grains and the farms for the horses, the cattle and the oxen. So they were cut off at the pass and kept right out of the state. Yep, they're successful in keeping them out of the state. <laughs> um, uh, and so, yeah, no, like I said, and, and Bob's a fantastic tour guy. He does a great job of uh, showing you all these really neat, interesting details. So if you are in the area, if you get a chance, go up and check out that Breckenridge standoff event in a couple of weeks, I, I highly recommend it. Um, are the, has much been written about uh, these events and this time period? Is there, I guess I'm asking, is there a good book uh, uh, that you could recommend people they wanted to be able to read more about uh, the birth of Vermont and some of these events? Oh, looks like he's getting right, has it right on hand. This is a newer book that was put out by the Vermont Historical Society and it has a lot, um, with the, the documents from the ejectment trials. So they kind of went right into some of the, the details there. Oh, okay. um, so, so this is nice and brand new. I guess really the, the general story that I, the, the answer that I would give you is that it, um, it could be studied a little bit more. So if there's more people that wanted to get interested in the birthplace of Vermont and, and, and lend their take to this interesting history, I think we could all use sort of all the different takes out there that we could possibly get so yeah no uh having you know I, i've been you know really interested in revolutionary for for a long time but until your event that you started planning this is the first i've heard of it first i read into it uh so i really appreciate you uh yeah heading up a lot of this uh, uh research and uh and, and and creating this event and everything else like that i think that that's uh, gonna do great things to get people interested and excited to learn more about yeah, what, like I said, uh, you know, building up to the American Revolution, it's, it's often viewed as just a straight American versus British kind of um, uh, engagement, but you really have all these different kind of variables going on. Uh, you have these different uh, backgrounds of these people and these conflicts, intercolonial conflicts going on, you know, just as, as we're getting ready to, to declare independence. So I think that's... Uh, I think it's fascinating and yeah, it's, it's great to learn all these new stories. Um, so appreciate everything you're doing up there in Vermont to, to keep our Revolutionary War heritage uh, uh, going strong, so. Thank you, thank you. 
Um, all right. Well, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll go ahead and, and end this uh, this week's uh, edition of the Rev War Revelry. Um, I want to thank Bob for joining us. Um, if you if anybody hasn't checked out uh, uh, Emerging Revolutionary War, we are actually doing our own tour of uh, the battles of Trenton and Princeton uh, this November, doing a bus tour of those battlefields. Uh, hopefully the beginning of what will be of us being able to offer tours at different battlefields uh, across the country. Um, and so if you're interested in that, definitely check out the blog at emergingrevolutionarywar.org. Um, but thank you, Bob, for joining us. Hope everybody had a wonderful holiday weekend. And, uh, and we'll see you next week. Uh, next weekend, we're doing a Rev War Revelry talking about uh, go, still staying up in the Northeast, but heading down down that Hudson River, we're gonna be talking about Fort Washington and Fort Lee uh, and the battles that happened there back in 1776. But thank you, Bob, for joining us and uh, we'll see you all in the future.